Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. Today I have back on a repeat guest, one of my favorite people, one of the wisest people I know, Robbie Schur, who is the founder of Neurological Networks and a dear friend. Robbie and I talk about all things fear today and this conversation has been a long time coming because Robbie has been working on a course through, neuro- through neurological networks that um, dispels fear, fear, anxiety, PTSD, shock, and trauma more specifically. And these are all labels that we tend to use a lot in the self-development world, but I don't think many people, me included, actually use them properly or give advice that necessarily resolves problems so there are a lot of things and we explore this rather in depth in the today's podcast there are a lot of things that we do that give short-term relief from the ways in which behave we behave in the world as a response to fear but rarely if ever do they actually give a solution to the fear itself As Robbie explains in this podcast, we create these structures around our fears, our deepest fears, that make it very hard to access the root cause of them. And so today, Robbie gives us so much information. I really, I learned a lot despite having um, access to him on a regular basis and learning so much from him um, day to day. He really still blows me away every time we speak. And today we talk about all things fear and he shares the ins and out of his new course that is coming out in March. So this course, like his previous ones, are run live. And if you join the course live, which I'll be attending, um, you get a huge discount. So whether you're listening to this before March of 2023 or after, you can use the code FULLYHUMAN for a discount even on the pre-sale, which is already discounted. So yeah, the other reason to sign up while the course is still live is that whether or not you can attend it live, all the recordings will be sent to you. And when the course is built, um, as the course is built really, because it's this live syllabus that Robbie teaches um, once a week. And then the second lesson that week is a half lesson and a Q&A. So you actually get to engage with the content as it's shared live. You get to learn live, you get to get your questions answered. And then the course itself is built from all this information and all the added resources. And then you have access to the course for life. So if it interests you even remotely, you can get this pre-sale deal and the added discount with the code FULLYHUMAN. And whether or not you're interested in the course, the podcast is full of great information, including tips that you can do, three great tips you can do to address uh, your fear in real time. I hope you really enjoy today's episode and I will see you soon. Cool. Let's go. Okay. So I thought we could start by maybe I'll talk about my understanding of fear since that's kind of the main topic of today's podcast. And then you can fill in the gaps and tell me what's going on like neurologically. Because yeah, I think, well, I think also maybe even before that is that we focus so much on the stories of fear and like talk therapy, for example, like when we, when we think about what we're afraid of and of course fear like permeating the decisions that we make, preventing us from living the life we want to live. And there's so many different ways to tackle overcoming the fears. And I guess, yeah, I'll I'll mention today, we're going to be talking about fear, about PTSD, about anxiety, trauma, shock, and a course that Neurological Networks is coming out with to address all those things. But yeah, we're going to talk all things fear, including like what fear is, which a lot of people, you know, they say I'm afraid of this or I have anxiety, but most people don't actually understand what those things are. So when I think of fear, I think of an association made in childhood. So in present day, something is preventing me from living my life. I call it a fear. But what I've come to understand about fear is the thing I think I'm afraid of is more likely rooted in a belief I have that comes from childhood. 
most likely those like formative years and maybe even, you know, in the womb, maybe passed down um, intergenerally, intergenerally, inter from my mom or dad, <laughs> intergenerationally. Um, um, but it's not necessarily the thing that I'm afraid of is most more typically a bigger fear that is rooted from a belief I picked up in childhood as a self-protection mechanism. So fears as actually this like intelligent thing that the body does to protect us from things that are dangerous. But the problem with the modern world being that these very primordial protection mechanisms are then applied, maybe overly applied to so many situations in the modern world that we go around living in these chronic states of distress when we're not actually in danger. Um, yeah, I mean, most of that is so spot on. What I would say is when you say you think most of it is from childhood, maybe some is intergenerational. Yeah, so that's what I said. <laughs> well, let's correct that and say mm -hmm. most of it is intergenerational. Okay. So if you think about what happens neurologically, you've got this part of your brain that's always on. And it's not a bad part. This is like everyone thinks, are they trying to turn off this part of the brain? That's It's always there trying to protect you. Mm -hmm. So you're walking in the forest, you can be a snake catcher, right? You're walking in the forest and you're a snake catcher and you see this little curled up thing out of the corner of your eye. You got no fear of snakes, but you jump, jump to the side quickly because there's the part of your brain that is trying to protect you and keep you alive all the time. So you see this curled up thing and your subconscious brain's going, well, this may be a snake and generationally this thing kills us. So we just jump to the side. We make a determination as to what it really is. And then we go, oh, it's a curled up, um, you know, bit of branch or actually this is a snake. And then you go, well, I'm safe now. Now I can put my snake catching skills to the test and I can go catch the snake. But the subconscious before it processes that, it has this protection mechanism built in. Mm -hmm. what we do is we and that that is generational that's you know um a hundred thousand years of our ancestors being killed by snakes eventually programs the rest of us to jump away from a snake even if we're not consciously really scared of that and we know how to deal with that mm -hmm. but the primitive reaction is not bad you need to jump out of the way whoever you are if you don't know what the roundup curled thing is you need to jump away from that um, and then you, you see what to do. And that comes intergenerationally. But then if you were, um, I don't know, afraid of something that you didn't need to be afraid of, um, say a rose. A rose is not a something you really need to be afraid of, right? But let's say your ancestors, whatever happened, they associate roses to this part of their brain. Then five generations down the line, you start, becoming afraid of roses so that's a generational fear which is basically through the generations it became inappropriately associated to this normal reflex you have like this protection mechanism starts accumulating i guess a bit of garbage so then that's where this intergenerational fears start creeping up i remember reading about a study they did on rats i think it was rats where they they shocked the rats when they also sprayed i think it was cherry blossom or some some like pleasant smell they would shock yep. the rats and then in the rat i think they're pups like the babies of those that generation of rats had babies and they would just release the scent and not shock them but the little rats would freak out reacting as if they were being yeah shocked. yeah because you get basically the fear gets associated because it's such a powerful part of your brain. It's, mm -hmm. the, you know, the part of your brain keeping you alive. So if you start associating things to it, then it's like you have two things. There's the, the reaction to these things is normal. And that's what everyone um, wants to change is their reaction. But what they don't realize is the reaction itself is not really the problem. It's the fact that you've associated something inappropriately to that reaction. And that's probably what fear really is. I wouldn't call jumping out of the way of a snake that something you saw as a snake was really the fear. 
-hmm. The fear is when you associate um, blossom scent mm -hmm. to that and then start jumping out of the way when you smell things. That is fear. Can you... you know, it's this inappropriate association of to this reaction. You can't change the reaction. Like, you don't want to change that reaction. That reaction is a part of your brain, how it functions normally. And can you speak to the, the there's two other lenses, I guess, I see fear through. So one being this natural response to something that triggers us in to think there's a snake present. But then what about, maybe it's more in the realm of like phobia, but when people have a fear of something that is not actually around them, but to the point where thinking about a snake or even maybe a perhaps more interesting one is like a fear of public speaking. Yeah. What so about, that's, yeah, that's... that rumination of like, I have a fear of something that isn't, and maybe snakes are dangerous, public speaking. I know people talk about how like rejection from the tribe back in the day would have meant death. So there is that kind of fear that can exist around public speaking. But yeah, what about the fear of something that isn't imminently in your environment? Yeah, so you almost think of the reaction as right far away. So when you've got a, a fear of public speaking, fears always exist as like this structure in your mind. It's not just, I'm afraid of this, this triggers the reaction. It's basically you've got this fear is living on top of this fear is living on top of this fear is living on top of this fear. And it actually creates this web. I actually call it the fear structure. You have this fear structure, and then within that structure, you start triggering this reaction. So this fear of public speaking, we don't really know what the underlying fear is. And actually trying to, um, because it's this structure, it almost has a life of its own. If you go head on and you start trying to work on this fear, you're really wasting your time because the structure is going to kind of compress itself to protect the whole sphere structure actually starts protecting itself and you don't get anywhere you just start activating all these other fears that start protect well that make you think you're protecting you mm -hmm. because you're not activating a fear you're activating this fear structure and it's got almost self-protection and the only way to deal with fears properly is to actually start changing this whole structure um and really, it's like this fear connects to this fear. And some of them, you've got to move sideways. Like some aren't living as a pile of fears. Some of them, you get to the end of that pile and it's all of a sudden you go on a tangent and there's another pile and another pile. It, it lives in this um, complicated structure in our minds. Uh, all of these irrational fears are like fear of public speaking. Yeah, you can get a bit excited or a bit angry, like, you know, a bit tingly or whatever you want to call it. But there's no real reason to, um, it's not life or death most of the time. It's not like we're, we're having, if you say the wrong things, so you're firing squad time or anything. So it's pretty irrational. Mm -hmm. But it's living with a fear of, you know, Maybe I don't feel loved by my parents, so I can't talk up. And there could be a million things. You know, uh, in clinic, I think my record, I had this um, person with 187,000 fears in one context. So it's like, that's a massive structure. You can't, like, where would you begin? And mm. that's really where this program came out of. And it's where you begin, because you've got to navigate this structure define the structure and then it becomes really simple to actually start chipping away at it mm -hmm. so it's like you train yourself not to like you almost break pieces of the structure off mm -hmm. and then over a short period of time that structure's just gone it's not there in your mind you may have lots of these structures because every time you've got a fear really you've got a structure around it mm -hmm. yeah I mean, it makes sense I, I've worked with you enough to to stop trying to really figure out my problems with my logical mind because like you said like what I'm what I'm hearing and I mean through my experience is that the fear itself is so protected because your body thinks that the, the true underlying fear of what you think your fear is is so protected by the psyche or I'm sure you have the nervous system I'm not sure exactly what you're going to say is the protection like the force, like the jail, right? Cell around the fear. But 
it's so life or death that your mind is going to be reaching for all these different things to, to rationalize your way to a story of why you have this fear, but you'll essentially never get close. And I mean, I know I've worked on public speaking, the fear will have to maybe do a whole other podcast on that journey with my relationship to public speaking and how that shifted um, working together. But really it had nothing to do with conventional you know stories that we like to say about this does this or that does that uh no because that's another lovely problem with fear is ever you go to anybody in the world so we're picking on snakes today so do you want to get rid of your fear of snakes absolutely okay so we're going to do this this oh no we can't do that i mean shouldn't i keep the fear of snakes isn't it like isn't it normal to have a fear of snakes so as soon as you say to someone do you want to get rid of the fear without even thinking well most of the time they'll go oh yeah absolutely i hate this fear it's ruining my life Mm -hmm. and then you say okay well let's start and then the justifications come out Right. That's amazing. Fear is this, it's such a protective well, thing it, that it logically... makes sense because the fear is not out of nowhere. It comes from a place of the body protecting itself. So if you're trying to rationalize your way out of something by talking about it, the body's going to be like, red flag, this is dangerous. We need this fear. We developed it for survival. Um, yeah, we developed it for survival, but it, it's inappropriately associated to the right. survival part of our brain it's um it's like and also the problem is the thing you're afraid of um underneath is the terror so before you can you know fix we chip away basically the course is designed you chip away at fears but then when you understand the process really well that's when we start looking for what we call the terror behind the fear that is what people are really protecting themselves against and that is more than likely inherited so trying to understand your fears is kind of you can understand the superficial ones yeah my mom shouted at me uh whatever so now you know when people shout at me i get scared um but that's really superficial when you look at the structure underneath the structure what the structure is protecting are these inherited fears that you don't really even know are there and that those are so inappropriately associated to the response that we're kind of stuffed. So we've got this whole structure built on protecting ourselves from things that don't exist. It's just totally crazy. Can you touch a little bit on how like basically, as I mean, as far as I understand, we can't achieve the goals we want to achieve in life without addressing the fears. Can you explain like neurologically that like gap, like what's going on? Uh, well, there's a couple of things for that. Um, first of all, um, whenever you have a goal, there's always, in order to achieve a goal, you need intelligence. Like that's just the reason why I've written it down is because it's not a simple thing. It's not like you don't write down on a piece of paper, my goal is to turn on the TV today, right? There's there's something substantial in there. So the fact that it's something that you're thinking about means you need intelligences to get this to work. Fear neurologically is the literal opposite of intelligence. Interesting. So now like they are literally opposite things. Um, so I'll give you the, the bus example. So, you know, you get the person who's like, um, who comes and says, well, you need fear because it keeps you safe. It's like, um, no, you need a reaction, a genetic reaction to keep you safe. You don't need fear. That's a different thing. Um, so, you know, you're scared of cross, you're scared of buses. So you're all afraid of crossing the road. And then you, you say to that person, well, I mean, if you weren't afraid of being hit by a bus, does that mean you're going to be hit by the bus? And like, no. It's like, okay, well, what keeps you safe from being hit by a bus when you're not afraid of being hit by the bus? It's like uh, common sense. That's your intelligence. They both motivators. They both try and get you to where you want to go. But fear is pushing you away from something you're afraid of. And intelligence is pulling you towards your goal. 
So if you have fear, you can try achieve your goal using fear as this great motivator to get you, oh, I'm afraid of failing, so I'm going to work really hard to get to my goal. The problem is as you start to move away from the fear, you stop being afraid now. But if your goal was just to move away from the fear and you didn't even know that, well, then as soon as you start to feel better, you'll never achieve your goal because as soon as you not stop being afraid, you won't work on your goal anymore and you'll start getting pulled back towards the fear. Um, so neurologically, fear and intelligence are your two motivators, but they're opposite. The one's pulling you towards something, which is always a positive thing. You always want to um, be pulled towards your goal as opposed to move away from something you don't want to experience. So people always are afraid of the fear, obviously, by definition. So they want to work away from the fear but as soon as that starts happening then they stop doing that and then they go back to how they were they haven't changed their neurology they've just done something that makes them not so afraid anymore and then they stop doing it because where's the motivation because once the fear is low then the motivation's low mm -hmm. but if you get the intelligence to work really well which is the opposite of fear you get pulled towards your goals mm. so There's neurologically it's much better to be motivated by intelligences or have your intelligences working rather than set. If you look at lots of people's goals, I want to be healthy. Great goal but on the surface. But really, if you dig a little deeper, they're like, I'm afraid of being sick. Right. So as soon as they start to feel better, they stop dieting, they stop doing whatever. And then five minutes later, they're back to being afraid of being sick because they haven't got rid of this fear. They're not being they aren't being pulled towards health. They're just being pulled away from being sick. Right. Hence, like, the culture of quick fixes. Yeah. The quick fix is a perfect example. Quick fix is I'm anxious. Can I have a pill so I'm not anxious anymore? Mm -hmm. It's not whatever the pill is supposed to be addressing high blood pressure, heart disease, whatever. Oh, if I take the pill, I don't have to worry about high blood, high mm -hmm. blood pressure. Forget about the real problem of high blood pressure. I just don't need to worry about it anymore. Right. The what you mentioned, it brings up two things. I think maybe we'll start because it's so related. Something I wanted to talk about was having a fear of something versus having the negative outcome because they are very different things. You know, to the bus analogy, you could you can get always get hit by a bus. That's always a possibility. But letting your life be driven no pun intended, by the fear of getting hit by a bus ends up perhaps not in this example, but typically I find in my experience, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you end up embodying in some way the thing that you fear because you're so kind of in God, this is an example. So if you're a fear, if you're afraid of being abandoned, right, in partnership and you have this abandonment wound, so the fear of being abandoned in relationship. Typically, you gravitate towards bad relationships in which you abandon yourself in. So it's not that being in a relationship doesn't... The, 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 the reality is there is always a possibility of being abandoned. Relationships end. You know, the perception of abandonment is uh, a wide scope. But when we let the fear live within us or when we don't get rid of it, it doesn't prevent the outcome, but more often than not, it seems to magnetize you to that situation. Yeah, nail, just hit the nail square on the head, right? It's You always attract what you're afraid of. I mean, Andrew was telling us stories the one day where he was working on this girl's fear of spiders. And she he was describing her clinic room as literally spiders everywhere like she she just couldn't survive her life anymore she was this practitioner and there were just spiders everywhere and that was her biggest fear and he resolved her fear of spiders and came to her clinic like a few weeks later there wasn't a spider in sight so it's i like have my i have <laughs> you're not going to agree with my reasoning for this you can give me the neurological if you have one reason for this because i i feel this like positive association with life that life is always trying to show us that like the places in which we need to grow and so we will magnetize the things that we're most afraid of to show us if we're willing and able to overcome them that they're not you know that we can essentially overcome anything like that magnetism of like exactly like her and the spider or the self-abandonment wound and 
um, the partner that is going to chronically abandon you until you stop abandoning yourself. I have, yeah, I've always gone with that. It's life magnetizing what you need to experience to grow. But yeah, somehow I don't think you're going to agree with that. No, it's, it is actually that, but there's a genetic reason for it. Basically, fears are, as we said before, most of them are inher- inherited. So they inherited as these genetic memories. We don't even know what they are, but then they become associated to the structure we create for them. Mm. And we basically think we, we've got to fix up our fears. But really, underneath it is we have to fix up the genetics. And more than anything, we attract, like, uh, whatever problem, to some extent, we attract the negative, and it's to resolve it genetically. But fears, because most of them, all our phobias, because they're all genetic, uh, basically, and inherited, our genes are trying to recuperate from these, I don't know, traumas thrown around. It's not really neurologically trauma, but let's just use the word trauma for ease of understanding. It's like our genetics are trying to resolve all these traumas. And the only way it can do it is to bring them into our life to resolve them. How are you going to resolve a fear of spiders if you never encounter a spider? Mm. So it's like, and genetically, it's like if we don't fix our shit genetically, then our kids have to fix their shit because the ge- it's almost like the genes have this just desire to be cleaned up. Mm. And whether it's you doing it or your kids, if, like if you don't fix your fear of spiders, then that'll be passed on genetically to your kids and they'll have to resolve their fear of spiders. So it's like your genes are trying to, and fear more than anything also, because it's so associated to this protection mechanism of keeping us alive and safe. It's like, if you can be alive for longer, that's good. So it's like, let's fix all these things that are getting messed up with this survival pattern. And when we clean them out, we don't have to worry about this. And remember, it's like, fears are the opposite of intelligence so it's like you're so you're always attracting the thing you're afraid of and your brain's not working correctly it's like okay so you're so scared of being hit by the bus that you freeze up stop in the wrong side of the road and get run over by the car because your brain's not working properly well that was the the second thing that came up for me when you spoke about fear and intelligence being opposites is when we get triggered so when someone gets triggered, it it's like the rational part, that intelligent part of the brain freezes, like something just gets thrown out the window and we go back, you know, we revert to our child selves. And I know we spoke a little about a little bit about this, about how you're literally suffocating your brain when you get triggered. Can you explain the like mechanism behind why we just turn into like our four-year-old self when, and it, and it, and also like how it has nothing to do, the situation we're triggered in as adults, you know, whether it be road rage or in conversation with any time where, I mean, we're getting triggered all day long, realistically, most people, um, but that it has something to do from, yeah, long, long ago. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you brought up two kind of different things. Um, one is my favorite, that suffocation thing. That's yeah. like my all-time favorite neurological issue to resolve. Um, but yeah, physiologically, it makes sense that fear is the opposite of intelligence because when you're afraid, basically your body wants to run. It's just primed to do that. It's literally jump out of the way of the snake. So that reaction is happening. And then what happens is uh, you don't need to think about jumping out of the way of the snake. You need your body to react. So if you're reacting as opposed to thinking, what physiologically what happens is all the blood drains out of your head and into your legs, and so now your legs can move. Your adrenal system flares up. It shuts off your right side of the brain because that's a creative part of your brain. So now you've got this basically only back left side of the brain is kind of even remotely active the others are just off you're basically working from a complete brain stem level autopilot just the same reptilian part of the brain that makes um you know all these insects jump away when you approach them you're just like a giant insect at that point you're just going to that's and that's what you're calling triggered there's no brain funk there's no higher level brain function because there's no blood in the head there's no oxygen in the head you just your body's active to run 
this is the only thing that happens. So when you're running, when was the last time you were, you know, completely afraid of something and thinking, hmm, I might solve this problem with quantum mechanics now. Right. Or like trying to talk about it. You know, if you're in an argument and and two people are triggered, like the it, it never really seems to work to try and like logically talk it out. No, because there's no blood in your brain. It's like what you should logically do is go run for 10 minutes as hard as you can. Mm. Get the actual the stress out of the system and go, okay, well, we ran away from that insect or spider or dinosaur, or whatever we ran away from. Right. And now we can actually go back to being people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, yeah, what's the point of talking? Like the funniest thing in the world where you see two people arguing when they're triggered. Like neither of them are making sense. They're not listening. They're like completely irrational and it does it, or the funniest thing is it keeps going because neither of them are even listening to each other. They're just mm-hmm. having to say what they need to say. It's like fear is also this, um, uh, 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 it's a high energy state, excess energy. Mm. So basically the energy for intelligence goes into the fear. And then all these people are like lots of energy. So they're all hyped up and talking crap. That's the mm. funniest thing in the world, watching two people triggered and trying to have a discussion. Like, guys, you two need to run around the block and try again in 10 minutes when you've burnt off all this extra energy. Well, it does, I mean, that is what happens. I know for me, you know, you get all up in the stories and the beliefs. And actually, that was another thing I wanted to talk about in terms of, like, when you get worked up somatically in the body, if there's nervous system dysregulation, which there is when there's a trigger, if the nervous system itself is dysregulated, aren't we kind of scanning for problems and fears and anxiety? Like if the actual body is dysregulated? Yeah, because when you're in that state, you're in survival mode, complete protection. You, that part of the brain, which is trying to protect you at all costs, it's really good. Like that's, that's not, again, we've said the reaction is not the problem. It's associating the trigger to the reaction, which is the problem. The reaction by itself is not a fear. That's like everyone has that. Like my mate um, who literally is a snake catcher. That's what he does for fun. He goes into the jungle. You live in Australia or something? (laughs) Oh, yeah, no. Um, And he catches snakes all the time. And But if I say to him, what are you going to do if there's like, if you hear a slithering next to you, he's like, oh, I'm going to just jump out of the way because I still don't want to be bitten by a snake. The reaction is not the problem. It's when you're associating things like an email to the reaction. That's that's what a fear is. You don't call a fear protecting yourself when there's a threat. That's like why we got to be here and didn't get eaten by the people who don't have that, didn't get passed through. They were the ones eaten in the cave, right? Mm Because they thought, oh, you know, I won't go. I won't go investigate this noise. I'm just going to sleep through this one. It's like you don't wake up in the morning. So that reaction is not the problem. It's the fact that all this other crap gets associated to the reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I kind of went off on a tangent and well, don't remember. Pri- the, the suffocation reflex. Oh, okay. So suffocation is, oh, okay. Now I remember. So before we get to the suffocation, so you were saying uh, all these things get associated. Mm, yes, but really when, You're on like that. You're supposed to be scanning for danger. You're in a dangerous situation. There's wind rustling. There's things slithering around you. You should be scanning around the room to find out what's going to kill you. But when you're in a room with your computer and the aircon's on and nice uh, essential oils blowing and you read an email and that triggers you and then you start scanning the room, it's like, hello. It's like, no, your brain is just not working like it's supposed to work. You've associated genetically and then your stories and your history and your everything's been associated to this reaction which is why have you done that like that's a structure that's been created and that structure needs to be addressed there is so many things that's going on but i just like you know going back to i guess plugging the course mm-hmm. you don't need muscle checking you don't need neuro training you don't need anything we've discussed in the past to do this it's a really simple thing i mean you I've shown you how to do it. You do it in three minutes by yourself and go, oh, feel better now and mm-hmm. off you go. It's like, it's a technique. It's got nothing to do with um, complicated, like it may sound complicated what's happening internally, but actually the solution is really simple. It takes, you know, five minutes and 
um, you identify the underlying fear and get rid of it. Do you want to walk us through the course um, structure? Uh, yeah, so I'll talk about um, the suffocation stuff first. Cool. So as 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 part of um, so the suffocation part is actually a different reaction to this, you know, jumping out of the way of a snake. This is actually primed in. So we have lots of uh, fear parts of our brain. There are lots of structures that, you know, bits and pieces create fear, but a big part of it is the amygdala. So that's people call that the fear center of the brain. There's a lot more, there's brainstem and a whole bunch of other things, but the amygdala, what they realized actually only quite recently was the amygdala has some breathing related sensors um, that they didn't really know about. And then when these sensors are triggered, instead of changing your breathing, like what happens when other breathing sensors are triggered, it actually makes you think you're suffocating, literally dying through suffocation. So that's actually different to the part of the brain that's protecting you from a snake. Totally kind of different thing. This is purely a reaction to thinking you are suffocating. Um, and, you know, in, in our current world, no one's breathing perfectly. So we get these um, things that trigger this, what's called the primitive suffocation reflex. So before you can actually destroy your fear structure, you have to make sure that you don't think you're dying all the time through suffocation. So before we can go into fixing up the fear structure, again, it's another pretty simple technique to reset this part of your brain. But this is actually the panic attack center of your brain. Every single person who has panic attacks, this is the part of the brain that becomes imbalanced. Mm -hmm. And you have to reset that before you even go into the fears. Because we spoke about this nice fear structure. The amygdala has associated fears that really, it's, they're all made up. None of them, they, they're not really genetic. They're not anything. It's basically, imagine sitting in a room full of oxygen and your brain thinking you're suffocating. Like literally the part of your brain, you went for an MRI, you would see a part of your brain lit up that's making you think you're suffocating, drowning. If that was going on and you're in a room full of air, so your, your logical brain's going, I can't be suffocating. I'm in a room, I'm breathing, I'm not suffocating. But this part of the brain is on mm. and it will start, it has no choice but to start justifying, oh, I'm not suffocating. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of this. It's this, mm. it's this. And so it that's starts kind just of, making up crap. That's kind of what I was talking about, about the somatic dysregulation. So most likely it's this primary, uh, primitive suffocation reflex where you see people that are constantly kind of in a state of panic and anxiety. And it's that their bodies actually thinks it's suffocating, but because it's rational enough to look around and say, I'm not drowning or I'm not, I don't have a bag over my head or whatnot. Yeah. And it's scanning for what's wrong out there. Yeah. So that's slightly different. That is not slightly, that's different to our reaction. Sure. The amygdala, when it goes deregulated, it'll trigger the dinosaur being chased reaction as well. Mm -hmm. But really, unless you regulate this suffocation reflex, you just start making up the most ridiculous. That's, you know, post-traumatic stress is really this amygdala. Um, part of the brain is turning on scanning for all these things mm -hmm. what's turned it on again it can be anything it's usually you know chronic stress or shocks or traumas or who knows what's actually set it off it's related to breathing and again super easy to reset it it's like the first module in the course is like don't worry about fears if you think you're dying all the time just right sort that out and that sorts out you know probably half of the problem right there because so many of the fears are just like, well, I'm not dying. I must be afraid of the email. Well, I'm not dying. I must be afraid of spiders. Well, I'm not dying. So I must be afraid of this. And it's just justifying why you don't feel like you're dying. If you actually go, wait a minute, I think I'm dying. All those other fears would just kind of disappear. Right. And you go, yeah, I freaking feel like I'm dying. I don't know why I'm freaking out. Um, and that is what a panic attack is. That is literally what a panic attack is. It's this mm -hmm. part of the brain that gets activated and you just think you're dying. You literally think you're suffocating to death. So the first part of the course teaches us to unwind that suffocation reflex. 
yeah, it's, so it's related to changes of chemistry in your brain. And if the chemistry, so you could imagine you've got this narrow band of where the chemistry is happy. Um, and as long as your chemistry is in that narrow band, you, you're fine. But then if um, something triggers the chemistry for whatever reason, then the chemistry, so I mean like your adrenals get triggered or you eat the wrong food or anything that kind of triggers this chemical to not be in its comfortable range, you start having these, and it's all um, size, right? So the more it becomes dysfunctional, the worse the panic attack. So if it's only slightly out of its happy range, you kind of just feel a bit anxious or kind of not happy. But then if it gets really triggered, you have the proper panic attack. And the only thing you can do, like if it gets to that extreme, extreme level, the only thing that kind of helps those people if they faint you know, they have such an extreme panic attack that they literally faint. And then the brain kind of goes back to its healthy, well, not healthy, it's very not healthy, but it goes back to its comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So the first thing we do in the course is expand this comfort zone of the chemistry. Mm. So it's like big changes don't activate this part of the brain that mm. makes you think you're suffocating. And then as time... So that's the first module because really don't bother with anything else. If you try, so it's, it's also, let me just go back a step because mm -hmm. I love this one so much. It's like, think about it. Anytime you try and make yourself healthier, what are you actually, some component of chemistry will always change because that's just when you change anything, even your thoughts, your emotions, then there'll be chemical changes. Uh, if you try work on fears you're going to activate chemistry like can, you can't change you can't change yourself without changing your chemistry it's not possible you either make yourself more alkaline or more acidic or release toxins it doesn't matter the, there's going to be chemical changes so anytime you go try and meditate or do breathing exercise if you subtly triggering this reflex that is the main reason why you stop with your health-related things. Because every time you change your health-related things, you start triggering this change of chemistry, which on some level makes you think you're dying. Mm. And then you'll begin, out come the justifications. I really should go to yoga more, but so I really should So it's like a self-protection mechanism against getting healthier. Yeah, but it's just a catch-22. You've just right. got to reset that part of the brain first. Like reset this part of the brain, then go do your meditation and it's not going to trigger you. But so many times you say, oh, the breathing exercises, I know they're so good for me, but I never do it. Oh, those cold showers, I know they're so good for me, but I never do it. It's like, this is why you never do it. Because on some level, you, your brain is telling you, if I carry on doing this, I'm going to suffocate to death. Mm. It's like, forget about anything else. Get this working. And so many of the things you want to do in your life will now become accessible to you because they're not triggering you all the time. That's this totally different trigger to keeping you safe. This is like, just stop this right now. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I just love that one because, you know, you get rid of this part of the brain, not get rid of it, but you actually make this part of the brain function properly and you just see a totally changed person. Mm. People who struggle with, PTSD for years and years and years after 45 minutes are like, oh, had my kids banging pots and pans around my head. And before I'd be freaking out if I like break into a cold sweat if that happened. So it's like so quick and it's so, so big, such a big change in such a short time. I just love it. I've just seen it happen so many times. It's like I've had clients go, oh, I've had PTSD for, um, for you know five years and just going to sound so egotistical and just so big-headed it's like okay well what do you want to do for the you know after 45 minutes what do you want to do with the second half of the session that's because cool. it just changes so quickly so after uh, we reset the suffocation reflex then basically what we do is so module two is then destroying this the structure of fear that we create for ourselves mm -hmm. Um, and then the, the last major module is basically just uh, taking away the negative emotional charge that kind of may still be remaining. Mm -hmm. So say with PTSD, you actually decharge. So now you aren't having these um, 
panic attacks anymore because that goes away pretty quickly. Uh, so you're not having the panic attacks anymore, but you're still not, you still have the, like the reaction to those events, you know, so they're not triggering fear, they're not triggering panic, but you're still not enjoying the fact that you, you've had these thoughts um, or, you know, you think back to your childhood and it's still, you're uncomfortable, you're, you're not triggered anymore. So you're not feeling all um, out of sorts, you don't feel afraid, you don't feel like you're going to have a panic, but you still aren't over the trauma properly. Mm -hmm. So then we teach the techniques to actually unwind these, the emotional charge that's still built up to these events that kind of you know about. Or even if you don't, you can just do it contextually. So I want to achieve this goal and you can just unwind any stress that may be associated to things you don't even know about inside that context. Um, so that's the three main modules of the and course. So it will run for three weeks with one lecture being the module and a second lecture being a half module and a half Q&A for all the people that that's sign right. up live to, to experience the course live. And then if they sign up after, they'll get access to all of the above. Yeah, so all, that, all neurological network courses are um, you get lifetime access. As long as we're going, you'll get access to that course. So you can buy it now and do it in three years' time. It's still going to be there for you. We don't, uh, we don't cut off your access. Um, there are some things like the live lectures we probably give you for a year, but I don't think this fearless course will have live lectures. I think mm -hmm. that will just be included because whenever you want Q&As, we'll just run a Q&A once a month or something like that. Um, and so you... You did explain the structure, and so maybe people will be able to understand, but the nature of neurological networks and all these courses is quite different from a lot of courses that we see. An example, um, when it comes to something that a course that a person might pursue for fear, for example, they might take a meditation course that has visualizations and yeah. um, mantras. Can you explain the like main difference between this fear course and a meditation course? Yeah, so a meditation course, you'll have identified a fear in your life and they will teach you skills to either keep that fear at bay or to get rid of that fear. Neurological networks is actually designed to rewire your neurology so that you don't have fear. So it's like the energy from fear, well, the aim is that that continually goes into your intelligences rather than your fears. Mm -hmm. So this over energy, when you get rid of the fear has to go somewhere and where it goes is the intelligence. But if you go do meditation, um, I guess the best way I could think of it is neurological networks is designed to destroy the container where fear lives as opposed to empty the container out and have mm -hmm. it get refilled in a week's time. It's like, no, destroy the whole structure of fear. Then you, and you know, it's not really possible to get rid of it at all because you have thousands and thousands of generations of these inappropriate associations. But with achieving your goals or doing something you want or things that are plaguing you, yeah, we can just destroy that whole structure around your fear of spiders or your fear of public speaking. Um, and you can actually just teach yourself to do it all the time. So whenever you're feeling a bit low on energy, just go. It's like a really simple technique to under to identify your fears. It's like if you go try and find a fear head on, it's going to shut the structure down and it's going to protect itself. So what you have to do is navigate the structure, find what's underneath there, destroy mm -hmm. the phobia, the terror behind the fear, mm -hmm. and that whole structure disappears and all that energy comes back to... Uh, your intelligences it's like the only way you can truly be free in this world is to not be afraid mm. like fear is the most debilitating um, imbalance you can really ever have mm -hmm. because it just takes all your energy away from being able to achieve anything mm -hmm. I see it as like having open tabs like every fear is like having an open tab um, when you're you know on your internet browser and having to create a world where you're navigating all your fears it's like this yeah it's like a house of, of cards like there's just you can't really actually navigate life and figure out what you want to do because you're always trying to protect parts of you 
And yeah, those parts yeah. have to be liberated if you're trying to achieve essentially anything in life. Yeah, I mean, just asking someone a question like, what would you do if you aren't afraid? Like, that makes people so anxious just to think about that because they'd be like, well, I would start and then the fears start coming up, but I can't do that because I'm afraid and I can't do this because I'm afraid and I can't do this because I'm afraid. Everyone's afraid of everything. I think the first podcast that Andrew ever went on you, and I think it's even your the tagline of that podcast, mm-hmm. is like there's only one disease in the world and that's fear. So and, true. And, you know, neurologically not 100% accurate, <laughs> but every single imbalance you have will have fears associated to it mm. and so, so many times like people you, you, you like they have a problem they like got a problem with work they're all anxious about work and they're like oh you do a balance on the anxiety and then you leave and you say but you know we haven't fixed your problem at work we've just fixed it so you're not afraid of what was going on in that situation and they come back and you're like um, okay, you're ready to deal with the problem at work. They're like, no, I just thought about that and it was fine. It's like when you get rid of the fear, the problems are so much easier to deal with. Like it's almost like fear is worse than the problem itself. The fear of the problem is way worse than the problem itself. Like oh, that, fear of spider, yeah. solving the problem is a flick, you know? It's but like the, the spider actually, but it's interesting because the spider has that component of actual danger. But when we look at so much of our fears, like, you know, back to that ab- abandonment fear, you know, in as an adult that is self-sufficient and you're working, you're, you know, you, you have a, a roof over your house, blah, 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 all the things that really are safe. And when we think of the abandonment piece and the fear that surrounds that, that fear is everything because walking away from a relationship that that's not serving you isn't dangerous at all. Like there's, there's actually no, like the spider has a danger aspect that people can still maybe that's get right. confused. Well, yeah, but the spider could bite you. But in that, in a many, for most of our fears, whether it's quitting a job you hate, but the anxiety that underlies it is, um, you know, fear of, of not having enough finances or the fear of there's like all these, yeah, there's, I mean, a million and one fears, but most of the time, there is genuinely no possible danger associated with it. Other of than of an email. Yeah. Like of opening the email while you're at your computer and you're having a freak out, which makes you have a fight with your kids that night. Right. And it's like the compounding effect and the spiral that starts happening. It's like all because you opened an email, which is something that's happening in six weeks time. Right. Like, right. That's just. And then you say, that's why it's the literal opposite of intelligence. Right. Well, it's pretty obvious that everyone needs this course. Um, Until it goes live, which I'll have all that information already. I will have talked about it in the intro and I'll have it in the show notes. But until it goes live, do you have any tips that people can do to start addressing their fears? Um, Yeah, a super easy one is just hold the front and back of your head whenever you start um, like really stressing about something, doesn't matter what it is. Uh, The first thing the fear wants to do is to activate your adrenals and to drain all the blood out of your head. So you can't think. If you just breathe slowly um, and hold the front and back of your head, that'll keep the blood in your head and you'll have a much better opportunity to um, deal with the fear like with a bit more intelligence because as soon as the blood drains out of your head um you're just going to go into back left you're a goner you're just going to go into it literally your brain will start making you do whatever it did last time because last time you survived doesn't matter you you may have broken both arms both legs you survived you'll break your both arms both legs again because it's like wait we'll just do what we did last time because we survived that so, so if you I, want to get out of that, you just literally think about the problem. You don't even need to actually think about it. Just kind of acknowledge the problem is there. Let the thoughts wash over your brain. And just while you hold the front and back of your head mm-hmm. and let the blood come in, much more chance of keeping the whole brain active. And when the whole brain's active, you can actually start thinking clearly again. And once you have intelligence, the fear will go down. 
So I love it because you gave something that people can do in the moment when they're triggered by, well, essentially anything. And then the other example that I actually thought of that you shared with me that you taught me is more of a proactive when you're not right in the in that very activated state and it's juggling. Can you explain how juggling helps? Yeah, so they did some studies on jugglers and they turned out to be the least stressed people in the world. And it's actually similar to holding the front and back of your brain because we're trying to keep the blood in your brain. Juggling is, uh, if you think about it, this is so cool. If you juggle with only one hand, it won't work. Whoa. You have to use both hands. So basically <laughs> when you're juggling, your brain is, the energy from the brain is like kind of having to bounce from the left side to the right side because your left side controls your right hand and your right side controls the left hand. So you're basically activating left side, right side, left side, right side. And then the brain goes, you know, too hard just to keep swapping. I'm just going to activate both sides of the brain and leave them on because when they're on, um, it's so much easier to juggle. So you're juggling, that activates both sides of the brain. And now you can think about your problem with the right side of the brain, which has, you know, the big picture with the logic, which is the left side. And together you come up with a good solution. And when you have a good solution, you're not afraid anymore because it's like resolved the stress on that fear. Well, now you're not afraid of it anymore. So it's like, I literally, you, you can do some of this and then you get someone to sit there thinking about their, what they're really afraid of and juggle, even just throw the ball from left hand to the right hand really fast, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can't juggle five balls, just take one ball and throw it from left hand to right hand, left hand, right hand, left hand, and just do it really fast and think about your problem and do that for like five minutes. And what starts to happen is you actually can't think about the problem anymore. Mm -hmm. Then you have to really try to think about the problem, but really try. So it's like, oh, I'm afraid um, of this, my 21st birthday party. I don't know what I'm going to wear. So you just don't even think about what, don't try to find a solution. You just sit there juggling, thinking about the 21st party. And then after five minutes, your brain's going to be thinking about something else. Sparkly red dress. Bring it. Yeah, no, well, no, it'll be like, oh, what am I going to eat for lunch? Because it's like giving up on this, the party right. now. Bring it back. And by about the third time of bringing it back, you literally won't be able to bring it back. Mm -hmm. You're like, I just can't think about this party anymore. I don't care. But that's the problem. Once you don't care, as if you're not going to turn up in the right clothes, right? Like when was the last time you went naked to a party? So that's it, all you have to do so is good. just like throw the ball from left to right. And then the final trick is if you're really anxious and you're like, you're in this state, you don't know what to do to get yourself out of the state. Run, go outside, mm -hmm. run as hard as you can for uh, obviously the cavern of protection. If you've got bad ankles and bad knees or whatever, don't do this. But if you're fine, run like five minutes, run until you are literally exhausted so that you just, and like not, not jog, not walk, run, mm -hmm. sprint as far as you can for as long as you can. Mm -hmm. Your body's primed to do that. That's what it wants to do. You're basically giving it what it wants. You're not afraid of running. Or you're not afraid of the dinosaur when you're running from the dinosaur. There's nothing mm -hmm. else you can do about it. You're doing what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. You're either going to make it or you're not, but there's nothing to be afraid of. You're doing what your body needs. So if you mm -hmm. just run like a crazy person, Find some stairs and just keep running up the stairs as hard as you can. Until the course comes can. out. Then do the course Until and don't fuck up your adrenals. <laughs> well, yeah, so it, it triggers the adrenals. But the adrenals are already triggered. You right. basically, you can't untrigger them. You may as well right. just burn off all this extra energy. You've not fixed the underlying fear, but it'll get you out of this state. Right. Where you may be a bit exhausted for the rest of the day, but you won't be in this state where the whole world's crashing down mm. so maybe that's why people get such anxiety relief from exercise but it's not actually fixing anything no and anxiety we cover anxiety so the course is called fearless rewiring the pathways of panic anxiety and ptsd anxiety is a bit more of a uh it's a different type of a beast so we do cover that and the, the protocols that do fear actually do get rid of the anxiety as well. But I always I say it's like the multi face of it, multi faces of anxiety. Anxiety is more 
there's a big component of anxiety of your gut brain not talking to your head brain. It's the disconnect of your gut and your head that really is a big component of anxiety. So we address that in the course mm. as well. That's one of the, towards the end, we go through some of the modules for that type of thing. Awesome, Robbie. Well, I am super looking forward to taking it. And thank um, you for your time. yeah, thanks. And thanks for having me on again. Mm, of course, it was great. I'm sure we will record another episode together soon. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Bye for now. Cheers. Bye.